This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Father, we come into your presence this morning, thankful for your promises and that not one of them will ever fail. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that is here among us today. And I ask that you would move in this place and that you would speak to every heart. And I pray for your anointing in the proclamation and the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The scripture tells us that the spirit of the living God was upon the waters as God was forming and creating. The Holy Spirit was at work in creation And then when God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, the scripture says that God breathed life into him. That life breath was the Holy Spirit that was breathed into him. In fact, the word for spirit and the word for breath are the same. In Hebrew, the word is ruach, and it means that life-giving spirit, the breath of life. The Holy Spirit is evident in the Word of God all throughout the Scriptures in instructing, in exhorting, in reproving and convicting mankind. The Holy Spirit spoke through and guided His servants and prophets. It was the Spirit of God who empowered them for their work. At first, the Spirit of God occupied the tabernacle, when the Israelites were traveling in the desert, and then he occupied the temple. But throughout the Old Testament, the spirit of the living God never lived in the same way inside of people. Isaiah, Hosea, Solomon, Ezekiel, Joel, and others looked forward with great anticipation to the day when the spirit of the living God would be poured out. In fact, it was the process that God had set up from the very foundation of the world and the prophets spoke to this plan that God had put in place that one day the Messiah, the Son of God, would come to this earth and would live a life and end up give his life for us, for our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus, the Messiah, did. He came and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin. And then he was placed in the tomb. And three days later, hallelujah, he rose again. And after he rose again, he was walking on this earth for a period of time. And he told his disciples that he was going to have to leave. Now, the disciples had been with him for three and a half years, and they had learned to love Jesus. Even though at times they failed him, they had developed this relationship with him. 
And so when he said that he was going to go, this made them very sad. But Jesus replied to them in John chapter 16. He said these words, I tell you the truth, it is good for you that I am going away. Now I want to I pause there for a moment. How could it be good that Jesus, the Son of God, would go away? Now when you think about it, I don't know about you, but I've often thought, wow, I wish that I could know Jesus lived at such and such an address. I'd go visit him. You know, sit down and have a, something to drink, something to eat with Jesus and just talk about things. And as much as that's a, a great desire, I, I'm reminded of the fact that I can do just that. But I don't do it necessarily with the physical Jesus sitting in front of me. But by faith, I have access to the very throne room of God. Well, Jesus said it's good that I go away. So why would it ever be good that Jesus would go away? This is what he said. Unless I go away, the counselor, capital C, the counselor will not come to you. I repeat, if I don't leave, Jesus said, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So after Jesus died and rose again, before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you would please turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm actually going to read a verse prior, and we'll begin in verse 4. And it says this, Once when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we read the reference where John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you, with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not able to uh, take off. But rather he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. He preached the message of the good news. He said, repent while it's still time. And as he was there at the Jordan River, he would baptize people as a symbol of their declaration to say, I have decided to turn from my old way of life and follow Jesus. And I want to share with you, friends, if you're serious about following Jesus, then you need to plan to get baptized in water. If Jesus did it, we need to do it. 
The scripture tells us that that's part of the process of us following Jesus. To repent, to believe, and to be baptized. Well, Jesus led by example. And in fact, it was John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. But Jesus went on to say in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. That word is dunamis. It means the, it's, it's the, the root word of what we get dynamite from. The Spirit of God is what gives us, as followers of Jesus, the ability to do what he's asked us to do. We can read about doing God's work and his will in a book. We can read stories about what others have done for God, and we can hear about miracles that God has done, and all that is awesome. But there's nothing like allowing the very spirit of the living God to work and flow through your life so that it's not something you're just reading about in a book. It's not just something that someone else is telling you about, but it's something that you're able to walk in in the power of the spirit of the living God. And that is something that is so critical for us as individual believers and as a church body. And so Jesus, he said, wait until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. I have some good news. When God makes a promise, he always follows through. He always follows through. So Jesus went up into heaven, and the angels uh, came, and they looked at the disciples, and they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So where is Jesus right now? He's not walking on this earth. The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you and I. But there is a person of the Trinity present here today because Jesus said, if I don't go, I can't send him to you. He, in fact, said, wait till he comes because the work that I'm going to call you to do is so challenging that you'll only be able to do it through the power of my spirit. And wait, waiting's hard to do. But that's exactly what Jesus said. And so we find ourselves now 40 days after Jesus had come back from the dead. And then would come within 10 days later the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was a major event. It was a celebration of thanksgiving to God for the barley harvest. People came from far and wide. It's estimated that approximately 200,000 visitors from at least 14 different locations were in Jerusalem for the feast. Acts tells us that they arrived from every nation 
under heaven. They had come from the Parthian Empire, Media, Elam, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Cyrene, Rome, and Crete. Some traveled over 1,400 miles. And you didn't buy an airline ticket to get to where they needed to go in those days. And this was the setting for the initiation of the spirit-filled church. And not even the disciples, the followers of Jesus, not even them knew exactly what to expect. All they were told was wait in Jerusalem because the promise of the Father is going to come. And so they waited. It was the early morning hours of the day of the Feast of Pentecost. And the scripture tells us that a sound like a rushing mighty wind filled the place where they were gathered. The wind of the Spirit has been blowing ever since the beginning of creation. And in this moment... The sound like a rushing mighty wind was very appropriate because it was the very presence of the living God that was in that place. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. He's the one who restores life. And he's the one who sustains life. If you're in this place and there is any issue in your life that you are dealing with that is dying or feeling dead, I want to tell you that the spirit of the living God is present to be able to infuse life into that situation, into that relationship, into your body, into whatever you're dealing with. It is the very power of the life giver who created everything out of nothing. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit who is able to transform and touch you today. On that day, in addition to the sound like the rushing mighty wind, the scripture says that there were cloven tongues like as of fire that sat on each and every one of them. The word cloven actually means distributed. In other words, it was like this one fire that kind of distributed all throughout each and every one present. It was God's divine presence that was manifested by fire at the burning bush when Moses was asked by God, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's notable that every time that God established a new place where he would make his manifest presence known, he affirmed it with fire. First, he approved of the tabernacle as his dwelling place with fire. And then he approved of the temple that Solomon built for him by fire. But here, God sent tongues like as a fire, showing his approval that now you and I are to be the temples of the spirit of the living God. In other words, God wasn't going to confine himself to a building anymore. When you leave church this morning, the presence of God does not remain here. The spirit of the living God goes not only with you, but he lives inside of you. He has chosen to make his residence on this earth inside of you and inside of me. Think about that, friends. The very God who created everything has chosen to live inside of you and inside of me. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, and everyone present. 
it's important to be present because if you're not, sometimes you'll miss something. Everyone who decided to be there, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Well, I'm taking it at face value. I would assume that everyone means everyone. Just going to keep it very simple. What we're talking about here is not a baptism in water, but we're talking about what John the Baptist referred to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What the prophet Joel referred to as the outpouring of the Spirit upon God's precious people. How do we know that? Well, we know that because the apostle Peter makes it very clear. The people who were outside, they were confused about what was going on. Here these people were speaking in other languages, and they thought, oh God, oh God, these guys are drunk. They're confused in what they're doing. And Peter stands up and he says, no, it's, oh, it's very early in the morning. It's way too early for being drunk on wine. But what's going on now was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he begins to quote and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter continued to speak and to uh, preach the word of the Lord. And the Bible says that the people who listened, verse 37, were pierced in their hearts and they said to him, brothers, what should we do? And Peter answered, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and even for the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. I'm so glad that God made it available to everyone. My friend, there are certain things that God has reserved to specifically give to some people in the body of Christ. In fact, the Bible says that not all of us have the same operational gift. One person has the gift of administration, the other has the gift of hospitality, and we, we excel because God has specifically chosen that we would have that specific gift. But I want to make it very clear, and this is from the Word of God, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift, using the same word, 
but qualified. The same, the same word, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not reserved for just a few. But it is rather made available to every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. That's what it said. That's what we just read. Now, when we give our hearts to Christ, the Bible says, I want to read you this, this, this portion of scripture because it gives a little bit of clarity. So we fast forward just a little bit to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us in verse 5 that Philip went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And as he preached, the people came to Christ. Verse 12, it says, Now the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Now, pause here for a moment. These are people who have believed in Christ and they have been baptized. According to the word of God, those who are obedient and believe, confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, their names are written in the book of life. Okay? That's called salvation. At salvation, here's what the scripture says. It says that we are given the gift of the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This means that every person who calls upon the name of the Lord, whether they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, their names are written in the book of life and they have a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now I have a bucket of water here. Now, the Bible says that if we do not have the Spirit of God, we are not even His. So the truth is, is that every single person who gives their heart to Christ must have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And so everyone who gives their heart to the Lord has the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's impossible for you to be saved without the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just draw that line right there. And that's exactly where these people were in Samaria. They had been saved. They had been baptized in water. Their names were written in the book of life. But listen, friends. They were still missing something. They were still missing something. How do I know that? Well, let's read on. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John for phase two. They said, Philip, you did a good job. You got them saved. But there's something else that they need to hear about. And so we are going to send Peter and John. These are not unbelievers now. These are people who have been saved, who have been baptized in water. And said, Peter and John's going to come with some more information. And here's what they tell them. Listen closely. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard, they sent Peter and John, verse 15, 
as soon as they arrived, they have prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Wait. I thought they were already believers. Oh, they were. However, let's read on. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received what? The Holy Spirit. Now here's, here's a visual of what happened. These people had already been baptized. They had already committed their lives to Christ. Their names were written in the book of life, but they didn't yet have the dunamis power. What Peter and John brought was more of this. And so when Peter and John showed up, what Philip started, Peter and John continued. Peter and John said, hey guys, have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they responded and said, actually, we haven't heard that there is, we haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. We weren't familiar with that. And so when, when a person, next week we're going to have it, when a person is going to get baptized up here in the tank in water, they're going to go all the way under. I make sure of it. We don't, we don't want to leave. We don't want any little, little part left out because the sinful nature has a way of trying to creep back in. And so when a person gets baptized in water, they get completely wet. Completely immersed. And it's a declaration that the old person essentially went into a grave. And a new person is coming to live for Jesus Christ. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is the Spirit of God that is baptizing you. Jesus, the Bible says, is the baptizer. He baptizes us in the Spirit of God. Now, you remember Jesus, he was baptized by John the Baptist, right? Even, even John the Baptist said, no, 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 I should be being baptized by you. And what did, John, what did uh, Jesus say? He said, no, it's important for us to fulfill the will of God. So, John the Baptist, please baptize me. Okay. God has worked it out so that there is a process in baptism. We don't baptize ourselves. Someone else does it. It is Jesus. He is the baptizer in the spirit. I was watching this little video, this cute kid. He was about like, I, I don't know, maybe eight years old. And the pastor was kind of getting prepped for the water baptism service. And he was standing there in front of the pastor. And the pastor was going on about the different things that the, the little kid was going to be experiencing and, and, and getting saved and such. And the little kid was so excited. And he thought it was taking a little bit too long. And he put his hand on his head and he baptized himself. And sometimes, even as adults, we can get a little anxious. When you're seeking the Spirit of God, 
you have to do it on God's timetable. Jesus said, wait. I think we have a problem with that sometimes, especially in our culture, because everything's so fast. God, give me as much of your spirit as I can handle and give it to me now. And God says, wait, we've got some work to do. We need to be willing to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Now, when Peter and John came, the scripture says, would you read it for yourself? It says, they laid their hands on them. There was an impartation of the spirit. And as they prayed for them, the scripture says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, when you get out of the tank next Sunday, if you're not wet, something went wrong. But it's also true that if you get baptized next Sunday, you don't get baptized just for the purpose of saying, I got wet today. You can go to a pool and do that on your own. So you don't get baptized to get wet. But when you're baptized, you get wet. Now, here's the way that God has worked it out. And was, we see it over and over and get into this more detail in teaching time. But God has ordained it throughout the book of Acts that when, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were so overwhelmed with the presence of God. The curse that was brought about in the Tower of Babel was reversed through the power of the spirit of the living God. And out of a person's mouth will flow a language that they do not understand. Now, if you're here in this place this morning, like, I'm not sure about that. I'd be happy to share with you more scriptures because it's all in the Bible. The Bible says that when we speak in a language we do not understand, we do not speak for our own benefit to be able to understand it, but rather the Holy Spirit prays through us. And the Spirit of God flows through our lips. And what the book of James says, that a person who is able to bridle his tongue is able to control the entire body. When you surrender everything to the Lord and God, you allow the Spirit of God to flow through you, the tongue is the most vital member of your body because with it you can destroy people's lives or you can breathe life into someone and that's very important for us to understand now here we see that these people they already knew Jesus they already had the Holy Spirit as the deposit guaranteeing but they had not yet been baptized in the spirit there are some of you in this room you've been walking with Jesus your name's in the book of life, but you haven't got the full power yet. And I don't say that judgmentally because the truth is, is I need more of God myself. If you're thirsty, the scripture says, you'll be filled. If you're hungry, you'll get what you're hungry for. And when you ask, you will receive from Jesus the baptizer, and this is the way Jesus said it, out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And essentially what's happening in the invisible realm is Jesus the baptizer is taking what you have offered to him 
and overflowing you with his Holy Spirit. And you are going to be baptized with the Spirit of the living God. That's his desire. It's his word. And so, as you and I surrender to the work of the Lord, and as we seek for God to do his work in us, he baptizes us, and that baptism changes us. Do you remember what Peter was like before he spoke to the 3,000? He seemed to always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Read, read each of the, the portions where he would speak. He always seemed out of line. He, he, he said things that Jesus had to rebuke him so sternly that he looked at him and said, get behind me because you do not think about the things that God thinks about. That was what Jesus said to Peter. But now he followed Jesus' advice. He waited in Jerusalem. Jesus baptized him along with everybody else present in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Peter became a new man. He was able to speak boldly before people that threatened his life. Whereas just a little while before, he would curse and swear that he did not know Jesus. Remember that? But he was a whole new man now. Why? Because the Spirit of God provides boldness. I'm here to tell you, friends, it's really good to have a plan to share people with people the salvation message. But your plan, memorized, written out, all that is good stuff. But unless you have the Holy Spirit's power, you do not have what is needed for the conviction to take place in a strong enough way to see many souls saved. Only the Spirit can do that. We were blessed when we were at the uh, when we were serving on the island. Um, uh, my, our car died. So we were thinking about what car to get. I thought, oh, gas is so expensive because it was a, a dollar more on the island of Martha's Vineyard where I was pastoring. So we got to get a good fuel economy car. And my wife brought to me in the newspaper, um, there was this Toyota Prius for sale. And it was like two to 3000 less than what it normally would go for. It was wonderful. And I found out that it was kept in a garage. It was maintained every certain amount of months. It was well cared for. And I found out that it made 45 miles per gallon. That was wonderful. So we ended up making the decision to purchase it. We did. And we've been using it ever since. It has been a wonderful vehicle. Whenever we can, we take that vehicle because we spend about half as much on gas. Well, just about two, three weeks ago, the, 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 the power in the car started to not be sufficient to start the car. Now, in a Prius, there's two batteries. There's one battery that is the main huge set of cells, and that huge set of cells is disconnected from the car until the regular 12-volt battery kicks in to engage it. The big battery cost about $2,000, and the small 12-volt battery a lot less. So over the last two, three weeks, I've had to go and take jumpers. I, I've had to take jumper cables and jump the car almost on every other day. It just didn't have enough power. So I'm, I'm somewhat new to the Priuses, so I wasn't sure. And um, so I thought, oh, I'm going to just investigate. So I started researching, and I found out and verified that the battery that starts the whole thing was bad. It was bad. Thank the Lord it wasn't the big one. 
and uh, just yesterday got to confirm that that, that that was the battery that was bad and that I needed to get another one and everything will work out fine. As I was fixing and working on the vehicle, I was thinking about my life with God. Now, the car actually works. Every time I jump it, it'll start and I'll get to where I need to go. I just don't know if I'll be able to get to the next stop. So it's reliable for at least the one trip. I brought it with me this morning. I don't live too far from the church, thank the Lord, so I could walk if I had to. But it's a hit and miss. The power level right now, without a new battery, is not something that I would rely on for a very long trip, say a vacation, for example. So right now, there's a level of reliability on that vehicle that is low. And for you and I, as followers of Jesus, Sometimes there are certain things we feel comfortable getting ourselves involved in. Well, I can maybe hand out a tract to someone. Or I can maybe do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to remain that way. You can become infused with the power of the Spirit of God where you will be able, not of your own ability now, okay? remember, you don't baptize yourself, it's Jesus who does it, that you will be able to look demons in the face and cast them out in the name of Jesus. And that you cannot do on a discharged battery. And it is the power of the Spirit of God that infuses you with the power that you need. I want to I provide you today with an encouraging word. God's heart and God's desire is that you live every single day on a full charge of his spirit. So much so that it overflows. That out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And even those who have been baptized in the spirit Even the disciples ended up praying, oh God, would you fill us afresh again with your spirit? It's not just a one-time event. We need a constant outpouring of the spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. I want to pause on that for just a moment, and I want to speak to anybody in this room whom you have not yet taken the message that Philip preached, and that was that Jesus came and he died And he paid for your sins on the cross. And your name can be written in the book of life. And when you stand before God, you can access heaven, not because of your good works, but because of what Jesus did for you. If you're in this room today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to me as your pastor or anybody else in this room. And so how do we get ready We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. We obey Jesus. And the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. That's the first step. I want to ask everybody in this room to close yourself in with God for a moment. Because really this is between you and God. When you stand before God, no one's going to be standing there with you. Except Jesus. Who's going to be your advocate. 
But if you're here in this room today and you'd say, Pastor, I want the Spirit of God to come in and to change my heart. I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to be saved. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're sitting this morning? God sees you, my friends, and you. Church family, we're going to pray together. Those of you who raised your hand, here's what we're going to simply do. The Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you from the depths of your heart to simply open your heart to the Lord. And say, God, I surrender to you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But as you pray, more than anything, God sees your heart. Would you join with me in this prayer together? Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to wash my heart clean, and to write my name in the book of life. I choose from this day forward to live my life in obedience to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving my sin. And thank you for giving me a clean heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. I'm so delighted about those who have made that decision. But I want to tell you, I don't want to stop there. Because after Philip preached and the people gave their hearts to Christ, Peter and John showed up and they said, there's the baptism that is not of water, but it's of the Spirit. And I have a simple call for everyone in this room today. If you have given your heart to Christ, you are a candidate for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you would say to the Lord, Lord, I may not even understand it all, but I believe your word. And so out of faith, I'm simply going to ask you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. If that is you in this place, Geraldine, if you would in just a moment lead us in a song. As the song begins, I want to invite you to get up out of your seat and to simply come and stand at this altar. And you're simply saying, Jesus, baptizer in the spirit, would you please baptize me? It's as simple as that. That's it. Very simple.